and welcome to another edition of the Gobeski Walls Report. My name is Charlie Wallace. And I'm Adam Gobeski. And we have with us four amazing guests. Two. Uh, we have Doug Gobeski. Hello. Tony Hoff. Hi ho. Tom Roop. Howdy. And Paul Wilcox. It's great to be back. So uh, we are here gathered to do a special edition of the Merry Marvel Movie March. Number 44, The Amazing Spider-Man 2. It's a special edition in that we just did a Merry Marvel Movie March, but in order for Piscopo Day to be timed out properly, we're going to do another Merry Marvel Movie March first so that we don't lose ground. Right. It's Joe's fault. Oh, Joe's fault, yeah. How dare he have a birthday that (laughs) falls in a a certain place in our release calendar that we didn't adjust for. (laughs) He should really consider changing it. Yeah. So obviously we got a lot to cover today, so uh, we're going to have to move pretty quick. And so that's why the first thing we're going to do is Paul's got a special mystery birthday present and uh, he's going to open it for us live on air. Is that right, Paul? Yeah. I don't know if you guys can hear the the rustling of the bubble wrap uh, paper package here. We can. And make sure to take your time. I want you to savor the moment. Yeah. Pop every one of those bubbles. Oh, I got one. Oh, there's a few more. Heard that one. Yeah, make sure they don't do that silent but deadly crap that they do sometimes. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> oh those damn SPDs. Like like how unsatisfying like when you take those big uh plastic things and just like slice them with a box cutter or something and Yeah, and then it's Alright, I'm opening the yeah, I've got I've gotten a weird new techniques ever since p- paranoid COVID packaging opening techniques. You know where you do you have a glove box that you use to open this? Oh, you know you you put it in, put the package into the glove box. You use the gloves to open it, and then you uh, use the little transfer tray to transfer your gift back out of the glove box. You know. I don't do that anymore. This is the first time I haven't done that, where I just immediately handle the package. Good for you, Paul. R.I.P. I had to break. Uh, I had to break procedure for Chris Elliott's Cabin Boy. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Thank you so much. This is well, not just Cabin Boy. I got you pristine. I got you. Yeah. I got you proper Cabin Boy. Because what did That's I actually it. give you there? Like, not just Cabin Boy, but... The KL Studio Classics Blu-ray of Cabin Boy. Oh. That's right. Cabin it's Boy's loaded with special features, yeah. I think. This is, like, a really cool cover. It's, like, kind of done in a... Uh, what would that be? The looks like a movie poster from, you know, the golden age of cinema. Um, and that's very appropriate, because this is actually what ushered in a new golden age of cinema, some, <laughs> some would say. <laughs> It's got it's got like uh, new audio commentary by Chris Elliott and director Adam Resnick with author Mike Sachs. Um, new interview with Chris Elliott and director Adam Resnick. Limited edition booklet essay by film critic Nick Pinkerton. Archival cast interviews. Man, audition tapes, B-roll footage, edited outtakes. Newly commissioned art by Jacob Phillips five tv spots and a theatrical trailer wow this is 
This is the definitive edition right here. It is. I thought. Oh. I thought you might. So enjoy it. Yeah, I can't. I can't wait to uh, for us all to watch this together uh. <laughs> for a cinematic respect. <laughs> yeah. 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 Awesome. Well, this is. Have you seen Cabin Boy? Me. You. <laughs> Charlie, you've said nothing so far, but have you seen it? <laughs> this is a question for you. <laughs> Wait, have you not seen Cabin Boy, Charlie? Uh, I think I have, but I think it was so long ago that I can't I can't remember any of it. Cabin uh, Boy, Charlie. A cult classic for fancy lads everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> It seemed like your kind of movie. Yeah, this yeah. looks fun. I'm, I'm, I'm so excited about this. Where'd you find it, Adam? So KL Studios, the publisher, I guess. Okay. Uh, the company that that released the Blu-ray uh, was having a special Memorial Day sale on like basically pretty much all their movies. Oh, okay. And I saw That's... it, and I was like, "This would be a great gift for Paul." Yeah, this is yeah. It, it's, you nailed it. And I double-checked with uh, Doug. I was like, Doug, do you think Paul would like uh, Cabin Boy? He's like, there's at least a 70% chance he would. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. More likely than not. (laughs) We'll we'll see. Maybe I'll watch it and I'll be like, oh, that was sophomoric. (laughs) I mean, that's... Has anyone read the oral history of Cabin Boy article? Actually, that's how that's how I first knew that KL Kino Lorber had done this special edition. Oh, (laughs) but yeah, I did read that oral history. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, that article is incredibly long and awesome. Oh, well, we'll link to it in the blog, I'm sure. Before uh, before watching this, I mean, you should watch the movie first so that the various plot stuff all comes as a. Nothing gets spoiled for you. Oh, okay. It's spoiler. Okay. All right. Watch the movie, then all the supplementary materials. Okay. (laughs) Don't go the opposite way. Well, I was planning on watching all the B-roll footage first. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's like a video game. You got to knock out all the side quests before. (laughs) (laughs) So we're here to talk about the Amazing Spider-Man Two. Ooh, yeah. The May 2014 sequel to The Amazing Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I think I said, but I'll say it again in case it gets cut for various reasons, this is the 44th installment of our Merry Marvel Movie March. And we are talking about the the acclaimed movie starring one Dennis Amazing Spider-Man, who is second in line to inherit the Spider-Mansion. But before he can inherit the Spider Mansion, he has to find his longtime girlfriend, Stacy Gwen, and tell her that he can't be with her anymore because the clause in the deed to the mansion says that he has to be a single boy in order to claim the Spider Mansion. And so he breaks up with Stacy Gwen, and then he moves into the Spider Mansion, and then the rest of the movie involves. So it involves him, but then he has two roommates who come over. <laughs> <laughs> so the first mo- roommate is is Max Dill Pickle, and then oh. his other roommate who moves in is uh, Harry Osborne, and so they live in the house together as three single boys, which is fine according to the deed. Until at one point, someone drops a baby off on the door, and then they have to figure out how to raise the baby as three single boys who don't know how babies work. 
<laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't know how this works. <laughs> and then a hilarious comedy ensues. What do you he just feed it? I don't I don't I don't get it's it. It's moving on its own, but it's not doing anything. <laughs> I don't know why I decided to mash that up with three men and a baby, but I did. <laughs> I don't know how babies work. I just <laughs> that's the premise: of three men and a baby makes no sense to me. I didn't. I didn't know that that that, that movie existed. Ted Danson. Uh, does it have Kelsey Grammer in it? Uh, um, maybe it could have. <laughs> I mean, it didn't. But got Tom Selleck. Yeah. <laughs> it, could have. It, it easily could have. It would have been fine. <laughs> Nothing would have changed, but it did. Replace Steve Gutenberg with uh, Kelsey Grammer. I think that would have worked. <laughs> oh, Charlie, what's the real movie about? Amazing Spider-Man Two, not Three Men and a Baby. In three sentences. Or Amazing like... Spider-Man Two: Colon, not <laughs> Three Men and a Baby. <laughs> Uh, so Peter Parker, a.k.a. Spider-Man, is still upset about the fact he was abandoned by his parents, which we find out his dad was... A... I hate this movie already. <laughs> his dad was working for Oscorp and knew about the super radioactive spiders and the evil work that they were doing there. And he has to break up with Gwen Stacy because he promised Gwen's dad that he would. And then... Jamie Foxx comes in as Electro, and Dane DeHaan comes in as the Green Goblin again. So we get yet another oh, Green Goblin. More. <laughs> <laughs> you can never have enough Green Goblin. <laughs> or Dane DeHaan, I guess. I mean, he kind of looked like a goblin. I mean, they had that going going for yeah, him. Yeah, he had that goblin disease. <laughs> <laughs> he just can't stop goblin. <laughs> I wish his dad would have called it that, too, instead of whatever it was. <laughs> Retroviral something. Yes, yes. Plasty. Mm. Hyperplasia, was it? Yes. Oh, oh yeah, hyperplasia, like, yeah. Something like A.K.A. That. goblin disease. <laughs> Is that a real thing? Uh, I don't uh, know. I'm pretty sure something that's called retroviral that claims to be hereditary is not going to be a real thing. Retroviral hype. There's hype hyperplasia. I also, think so. Retroviral hyperplasia real. Let me click on that. <laughs> <laughs> going to get an that's Alex not a good, video. Not a good sign for the for the realness of that disease. So the Wait, top hit is from AmazingSpiderMan.Fandom.com. <laughs> and then the second hit is about a walleye disease. So, no, it's not a real thing. It's just goblin disease. <laughs> Why did it take Chris Cooper like 60 years to die from it, but Dane DeHaan got it in like a week? Because he injected himself with the spider thing. In a, it, it was after. Fast. Yeah, that was after. Um, well, he said it started developing at his age, but Dane DeHaan thought that meant he had like two days to live, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Just like my dad. He had the spot on his neck, you know, yeah. so he was like, well, I'm not going to let it spread. Did you finish your synopsis, Charlie? Quick in this. Yeah, no. pretty much. We, Electro. We <laughs> you've got Electro, you've got the Green Goblin, and I guess Rhino to some extent. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'm not sure if that, that's this movie. Let's just call that a different one. That's like Amazing Spider-Man three. Right, Amazing Spider-Man it's a framing story movie. Wait, there's a third one of these. No, uh, no there is not. Well, we were denied <laughs> we should, it. 
We should talk about that. But before we talk about that, um, let's do our standard. Had you seen this movie before? I had seen it before. I saw it in theaters when it came out. I then bought the Blu-ray because I think it was like $10 at Target. Might have actually been less than $10 at Target. And I was like, yeah, it was good enough that I'll pay a low amount of money for it. And so I did. And Brand says we watched it then. I don't really remember that. And then I watched it the other day for this. So I've seen it three times. That's the upshot. Um, much like a lot of the movies, no, I have not. I did not see this before. I feel like I'm going to be very quiet on this podcast unless it's about bits unrelated to the movie. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have plenty of opportunity as usual. <laughs> <laughs> I had seen this movie before, um, not in theaters, and. I had forgotten most of the plot, which became apparent uh, yesterday. <laughs> but mostly I remembered my liking for Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone and not so much the rest. Paul? Uh, I had not seen this movie before. This was like really on the fringes of my awareness at that point. Because I had also not seen the first one ahead of time as well. It's a whole new world for me. Doug? Yeah, I saw it in theaters when it came out. And... Uh, because I liked the first movie so much, I was really excited to see this until I started watching it. <laughs> <laughs> I was drinking coffee at that moment. That's okay, like a, that's, okay, that's, that's not a front of the box true. quote right there. That's, that's not entirely true. <laughs> the The introductory stuff was a little bit weird, but you know, then we got Paul Giamatti and things were picking up, and it took a little bit before it you know rode rode off that cliff. Uh, before our Barry Marvel movie march started, I'd heard this movie wasn't worth seeing. And then as soon as we started the march, I was like, well, I got to see it eventually anyway. So why bother at this point? I mean, there's two time frames <laughs> in my life before the march started and after. So that's about as good as stories you're going to get on this one. That's true for everyone. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I like the idea that before the march, you apparently would have possibly considered watching it. <laughs> Maybe. I remember I did watch the first one and liked it. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah, um, the thing about this movie, I think it has a lot to do with the production behind the scenes. I think there's two main things that happened that led to this movie. Um, the first, the obvious one is that the first movie came out in 2012 and did pretty well. So why not get the game back together? The other thing I think that happened was also in 2012, and that's that the Avengers made all the money. And so basically a number of companies, Sony included, got a look at this and went, oh, wow, large franchises make lots of money. We should totally do that. And I think generally speaking, every single company that's attempted to do a franchise the way the MCU works has failed at it because I don't think they properly understand that Marvel was sort of took care and took their time and really building up to the Avengers. You kind of get this sense that companies like Warner Brothers with the DC movies and Sony with the Spider-Man movies. You and shut your filthy mouth. <laughs> you yeah. and your slander against DC. No, mm -hmm. continue. Please continue. You happy that the Snyder cuts you, finally you come true? I am most likely going to sign up for HBO Max when that comes out. Um, Universal with their dark universe that uh, twice failed to get off the ground. And I don't know if Invisible Man counts as a relaunch or not. I didn't see it. So um, I've I've heard nothing but good things about it. 
It was good. That's true, but I don't know if it's attempting to launch a shared cinematic universe. Anyway, so these companies all learned the wrong lesson from the Avengers, which was, hey, people will go to see movies that tease lots of other movies that are also coming out, which uh, I don't think is necessarily true. And I think The Amazing Spider-Man 2 is a perfect example of that, because before The Amazing Spider-Man 2 came out, Sony was going to kick this in the high gear. They had announced not just The Amazing Spider-Man 3, which was supposed to be out in June 2016, but also The Amazing Spider-Man 4, which was supposed to be out in May 2018. They'd also announced a Sinister Six spinoff. They'd announced a Venom spinoff. There was talk about uh, either a Black Cat or a Silver Sable spinoff. There was talk about a Spider-Man 2099 spinoff possibly happening. Have you not seen any of those movies with the possible exception of Venom, which uh, my understanding is is very different from the original Venom that they were going to do? Uh, Yeah, that's because this movie didn't do so great. It's kind of a cart before the horse situation there. (laughs) Yes. Let's let's just tell them our roadmap of a franchise so it will make this movie better. Yeah, the... The DC movies is probably the most notable example of that not going the way they anticipated of let's start with the big roadmap movies first and then go to the side projects. The amazing Spider-Man Sony films, I think, are equally guilty of that. I think the difference is that Sony just didn't keep trying to push it even after it was clear they should shift uh, focus. Obviously, we'll talk more about that when we get to the DC movie spree or whatever we're calling it, but or when our kids do. (laughs) is there any reason besides i don't know the quality of the movie we'll talk about later that caused this movie to fail like any production issues or like what was going on in theaters at that time um not really i think generally just the feeling to people was it's not really worth your time no okay i think production wise it went reasonably smooth i think after the production there were some problems and then it sounds like there may have based on some things that andrew garfield has subsequently said about the script that he originally had and filmed that they were making versus the finished product it sounds like there might have been some studio interference but it also sounds like that might have been necessary because the complete proper version may have been like three hours it kind of sounds like they had filmed they had filmed a very dense script that all made sense and everything worked together but in order to bring the running time down they had to start to cut stuff and so that meant that some of based on things that andrew garfield has said that's it sounds like some of the thematic links started to break up a little bit and become less obvious and things like that he seemed to be very positive even after the fact about the script he'd originally been given and the story that he'd signed on to make and they hadn't been making that would make sense given the movie. It's like they it's like they made a three hour movie and then cut out forty five minutes when they should have cut out an hour. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, seriously. So I did some reading up on Amazing Spider Man two prior to this. Or like prior to this episode to just sort of sort of figure out like what happened. It sounds like the original goal was to actually adapt one of the more famous Spider-Man stories, which is the death of Gwen Stacy. But they decided that in order to build up the goblin as a threat, they needed to hold him back for part of the movie 
so that he would then show up. But then they needed something else to fill in that first part of the movie, which is where Electro comes in. Plus, they wanted to deal with the Peter Parker parents stuff from the previous movie. They wanted to bring that in some. So it sounds like there were a lot of pieces that were just kind of getting pushed in. And the whole time I was asking, when is Rhino going to come back? <laughs> I could have sworn they were going to bust him out of jail or something like right yeah. at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> I completely forgot about him. Right. I was asking myself about 10 minutes left, like when, what happened? So, I, so when I'm we with were- Charlie. When I saw it in theaters, in the back of my mind, I was thinking the same thing. Like, when's Paul Giamatti coming back? <laughs> so when we watched it yesterday, Brian was watching it with me. And uh, we, while we were watching it together, like the group, right? And so we were making Paul Giamatti jokes. And Brian's like, when's Paul Giamatti going to show up in this movie? And I'm like, he already was in the movie. He was the Russian guy. And she's like, he was the Russian guy. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess she'd been distracted by his forehead tattoo or something. (laughs) Cause when they showed a shot of him at the very end, she was like, Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, when he showed up at the, like toward the end there, there were like 20 minutes left. And I'm just like, Oh my goodness, this movie's not over. (laughs) <laughs> like everything had been resolved why except for him obviously that i but i had forgotten so i don't know i feel like they could have done a dub like a two for one you know what i mean battle like i don't know why we had to have three separate bosses <laughs> boss battles <laughs> i thought the same thing yeah oh it's just because the rhino theme is very very clearly set up for upcoming movies that they don't get to make Right, yeah, I'm, and and I got that at the end, but you know, first watch, like, yeah, yeah, watching it and not actually knowing, you know, any. I guess I have the benefit of knowing that it failed. So, <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> it's so bad, <laughs> and I don't even think it was a like me just being a curmudgeon. <laughs> I really think it's a. It's just. Even the the dialogue was pretty awful in the beginning. It was just really like cheesy, and I don't think it was like the same from from the the same Spider Man from before. I don't know, but the Amazing Spider Man. Yeah, it just it seemed like it had completely changed. Like I don't know, even his character. It felt like for some of the scenes, like there was a lot of improv or just like ad ad libbing. I guess is the word I want to use. Yeah. I don't know, I actually sort of had the, the opposite feeling and that it almost felt like overwritten at points. Hmm. Like in some ways it felt like it was trying too hard. I definitely got a, a, a Brian Michael Bendis vibe sometimes. Brian Michael Bendis is a comics writer who wrote for Marvel. I think now is currently writing for DC who tends to write in a very specific faux naturalistic style in mm-hmm. which characters talk for a lot where they will just things like, you know, oh, a character might say something like this. Oh, a character might say something like that. Yeah, like that. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Like this sort of weird back and forth that almost yeah. feels natural, but not quite. Hmm. Like that's the vibe I got from a lot of like the the dialogue in this movie, especially the the Gwen Peter interactions. Yeah, Emma Stone is like the the only redeeming quality of the whole movie. I thought she was actually I thought she did a really good job in this and didn't detract. Wow, I'm I'm shocked to hear you hated Paul Giamatti that much. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I fell into the brand where like <laughs> where I was like, 
he was a little like Mr. Magoo at the beginning. Like it was just like, <laughs> <laughs> like what is this? Like, what is going on? I do want to say how happy I was though that uh, Rhino and Electro didn't become super villains because the radioactive materials truck c- crashed into both of them, which is what I was oh. expecting. <laughs> just standard shipping accident (laughs) (laughs) the radioactive material that has that nice voice to tell you you shouldn't be taking these things out i just wanted to let you know in case you're unauthorized (laughs) in case you don't know what radioactive materials are (laughs) and yet are taking these out of their container maybe they're libyan terrorists you don't know (laughs) (laughs) gotta get that plutonium yeah. yeah, did they ever establish why he's stealing the plutonium? Maybe that was in the cut 45 minutes. Probably money. Well, they got to establish that he's a villain, so he's got to steal something. Well, yeah, <laughs> but why not just like a regular armored car? Why plutonium? Yeah, why can't it just be a bank robbery? That Maybe that had some payoff in, the, in one of the several sequels. Well, it had the payoff in the juggling of all the radioactive material. <laughs> did that right. that additional yeah. complication yeah the stakes are way higher that's <laughs> true yeah i think this would all make more sense if they would release the web cut <laughs> <laughs> oh my god the web cut <laughs> well his name the director's mark webb <laughs> that's why they hired him oh i thought it was like the spider web <laughs> here i thought you had a good pun paul <laughs> Oh, he did. He yeah, knew what he was doing. <laughs> well, I don't like it. It is a different reason now. I don't know. <laughs> Puns aren't meant to be liked. Uh, uh. So one thing about this movie that I'm sort of at a loss to understand is why at all we care about Peter's parents. Like, why are we trying to set up Peter's parents as some like mysterious super scientists but who are also government agents maybe or who knows what the hell's going on it's because we care about peter and he cares about it therefore through the transitive property we care about his parents well okay okay, fine but why why does he care about his parents he doesn't care about his parents and other spider-man stuff well i have a theory about why they needed it in this one and i think it has to do with the like the reason Peter's blood won't work. Like we have to get like a a good sense that his dad put his own DNA into the serum and like only Peter could be the one and anyone else will turn into the Green Goblin. That's my theory. Yeah, I thought about that too. But A, that sort of takes away one of the appeals of Spider-Man, which is that anyone could be Spider-Man if they'd happen to be bitten by the radioactive spider or whatever. Right. That this movie says that's not true. You would turn into a horrible monster instead. That's right. He is the chosen you know, one. Spider Man's <laughs> a horrible monster. Yeah. Spider Man you... always needed more birthright scenes. <laughs> 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 yeah. And the thing too is right, like I don't know that there's really any need for that. You could just show him in injecting himself with the spider venom and it just goes wrong for any other reason, right? It doesn't play well with goblin disease or who knows. He could have just found the serum in the basement, you know? <laughs> Instead of yeah, having the rest. Yeah. <laughs> don't you use my uh, your don't you use my arguments <laughs> against me, Charlie. 
just in that little satchel that he has have like a you know a secret confidential file and then it shares everything and then you now you know it's oh it's only the dna i, I see what you're saying adam <laughs> <laughs> in other words if you're going to introduce an elaborate subplot for that one single moment see? which yeah. is not what is happening in iron man 2 charlie <laughs> then <laughs> then you have to ask yourself what the point of it is well, I mean, they did have the the ghost subway, so that was kind of cool. I, I wanted it to be a full on ghost train. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, was, I was ready for that level of the game. You got three bosses. You got a you got a ghost train level. <laughs> Ghostbusters show up because they're also owned by Sony. I think the only thing I can think of, Adam, is that I guess it works thematically, like all of these. Because I was trying to think, like, okay, well, if you're going to have all of these characters, what's the point? And they're all, like, abandoned in some way, so that's how they had to tie everything together. But, I mean, you just could have made the movie about something else and not tried so hard, too. So, like, it works in that sense, but then you have to kind of go way out of the way to make any of that work. I mean, they they also set it up in the first movie, but then they just closed it off in this movie. Like, okay, well, that's who his parents were, and they're dead, right? There's no future payoff to it. <laughs> So, fun fact, apparently they filmed but cut a scene where his dad shows up at the end of the movie. Ew. <laughs> stupid. Well, that's probably why they cut it. But yeah. <laughs> we watched the plane crash. It's on fire. Did we actually watch it crash? I was trying to think back. Or if we just saw it nose diving. It crashed into it, the diving. camera. <laughs> Not yeah. the ground. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Just, yeah, I couldn't remember. I mean, it was nose diving, and he was being strangled by his own seatbelt. It was pretty dire. He <laughs> shot out the, the the window, and there was no pressure. There's no air. <laughs> like, what? Yeah, but come on. There's no way you'd be able to breathe. How high do you think they are? Quickly. They're like forty miles. They are not forty miles. <laughs> they are in orbit. <laughs> They're in the vacuum of space. They're in space. <laughs> they're oh, practically yeah. they're practically on the moon. He would really be able to breathe. Like it doesn't have to like repressurize. You know, like well, like think of all the pilots who fly up high. You know, without needing to be in a pressurized plane, right? Like think of all the World War One and Two pilots. Okay, I don't think they went that high though. Well, uh, well, Tony's problem is he's like forty miles up when it's more like five what? or six miles yeah. up, like seventy, maybe you two. Know? Well. Three. Well, like a cruising altitude is like what thirty thousand feet or so, which is five or six miles. But still, there's still air up there. According to a cursory Google search, it says an elevation of about twenty thousand feet above sea level is the max height at which sufficient oxygen exists to sustain us. So, if they plummeted for a few seconds, they could probably get there. Well, thank you, Tom, for looking up an answer instead of us just. Talking wildly about things we don't know. No. Here you say we don't well, know. Well, it would Adam. take a while to succumb to the, you know, I'm projecting. the pulmonary edema and all that that would happen above 20,000, right? I thought it was just hypoxia that was a problem. Oh That's why gosh. they have the little oxygen mask things. Paul's favorite part to of the podcast. hypoxia. Get into the weeds. Uh, <laughs> I hate yeah, it. Yeah, with Paul yeah that's true. Like, high-altitude climbers have to they just to even like yeah like, be able to function like, for short amounts of time they spend weeks at high altitude to yeah, that's true it's like that episode of the simpsons that. where he's climbing the murder horn if you yeah, were to just drop us all into into twenty five thousand feet all of a sudden we'd all be pretty short of breath well, i imagine 
I think we're getting away from the point. The point I was trying to make is that there's no f-ing way that he lives through that. <laughs> I don't know, man. I mean, have you seen World War Z? No. <laughs> Brad, Pitt, Brad Pitt survived a plane crash. I don't see why in this movie the guy who plays Richard Parker couldn't also survive a plane crash. Do you think it makes it a better movie than Doug? Yes. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, okay, I see your point now, Tony. (laughs) If Indiana Jones can survive a nuclear blast in a refrigerator, then I think (laughs) you can do anything in a movie. I I hear the science says he can. So oh my I've never heard a I've never heard a physicist disagree with that. So <laughs> all right. I like I like how we're justifying this by using the parts we hate about <laughs> other movies. Yeah, I'm talking about that's the best part. <laughs> Sometimes I just go to that part of the movie and watch it. <laughs> go to bed. What do we think about Andrew Garfield in this one? As Spider Man, I thought he was. Good. I I liked him. I still he thought a, he was charming and and he was a punk. Good good Spider Man. He was good. Yeah, I enjoyed him. Although the last scene with him in the townhouse with his aunt or whatever, where he's like grieving, I was like, oh wow, he actually looks like he's thirty in this scene. Yeah, <laughs> I, I told you while we were watching it, he'd just been through a lot of trauma. He that did. Yeah. You. It does. He just twelve years. Yeah. I don't know. Andrew Garfield, like I, I thought he was, I thought it was good, like during the middle, but the beginning, I just was, I was not on board. I don't know what it was. It was like just his character. And like, I don't know, like he was trying to like be all confident. I I didn't like it. Oh, see, I actually really liked that. Like the opening, the opening scene, once we get past the stupid parent nonsense, right. But like the actual opening scene with the chase with Paul Giamatti and no, yeah, that I'm okay with. I, like, I, I really like that. I was more like once he was at the, I don't know, once he was like interacting with like Gwen and uh, Aunt Sally Mae. Oh, yeah. Like I just, it was just, it felt so off and weird and then he breaks up with her. Well, that's because he's, you know, suffering from the trauma of having to constantly see a dentist. <laughs> <laughs> Dennis is everywhere. <laughs> oh, I thought you said all, all the Dennis's listening right now are like looking at their own hands. Like, <laughs> did Dennis Leary have to come on Saturday to see previous footage of him? <laughs> no, he came in to do it. Okay, did he really? Yeah, what a champ! Wow. I think so. Although, why? So, Brianne asked a big question, which is like. So Dennis Leary is shows up constantly through this movie, but why is he not staring angrily or whatever at Peter at Gwen's funeral? <laughs> yeah. He's like, what's the point? <laughs> he didn't listen to me. <laughs> yeah. What is the point? I also want to know why he even cared about Dennis Leary, like or, or Dennis and like that oath that he gave him. Well, he died right in front of him. Eh. <laughs> Jeez! <laughs> oh, you win some, you lose some. All right? <laughs> I mean, wow. I did sort of feel at the end of the first movie he'd sort of made peace with that, and then the fact that he hadn't in this one was slightly frustrating. No. Right? Yeah, he came down like that sixth sense syndrome. It seems to be a thing that really happens a lot in sequels. Is like, oh, everything seemed fine, and then there's some sort of like maybe contrived, maybe not 
thing relating to the previous movie. I think, I mean, it's not just the promise, though. I mean, it was a good point that Dennis Leary had, right? Is that if you continue to date her, there's a good chance that, you know, something bad is going to happen. Spoiler alert for the end of the movie. <laughs> she, she's dead. Right. Well, How does I, she die? Uh, I think you're supposed to think that she hits her head on the ground. I think that- the, they, you, there's like a snap sound. I thought like her neck snapped when oh. she was still suspended, but she got like... I think there was enough slack in the, or elasticity in the cord that she... I think if you look at it, she actually hits the ground and then just like bounces back up. Oh. Yeah. When I've watched it a couple times, that scene, because I was confused at first too, she like hits her head hard on the ground. Oh. Like there should have been a lot more blood. <laughs> if you like watch it again, it's, it's like full on head smash. So I think part of the reason that it's not clear is because in the comic issue that this is adapting, Gwen Stacy gets thrown off the George Washington Bridge. Spider-Man grabs her with the, the web. And when he grabs her, there's a little snap near her neck, which is supposed to, I think, make it unclear whether or not the force of grabbing the of the web grabbing her sna- gave her whiplash severe enough to snap her neck and kill her. Oh, but then subsequently, there's Green Goblin says something to the effect of she was already dead when you grabbed her or something like that. So in other words, there's a little bit of ambiguity in the comic issue about whether Peter directly is responsible for her death or indirectly responsible. And I think that's probably what they're trying to go with here is create a, also a little bit of that. Did right. he? Okay. Um, so it's not that there wasn't um, enough air when she was falling. I mean, probably it ultimately was, but um, <laughs> I think it was, you're, you're designed to you're designed to go with. Uh, I don't think that... If, Thanks, Charlie. <laughs> I don't... Look, if he hadn't used the web, I don't think she would have survived that fall anyway. So right. there wasn't any ambiguity there or any attribution to uh, Spider-Man in this one. Like, basically, the only thing for him is he tried and failed. Were people surprised by Gwen's death the first time around? No. I was. I yes. Was. Yeah, I I was as well. I remember thinking like as soon as she started falling and it went into like slow motion, I was like, oh, she's actually going to real die right now. I definitely was like, I see this coming, but only like, you know, within that scene. I agree. And I actually kind of got upset because I was like, really? So Dennis dies in the first one. Now she dies here. And then I'm thinking, what what next? Aunt Sally Mae? Well, she's still got like a couple of brothers, right? And her mother that Peter Parker could kill. (laughs) 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 Oh, oh, kill the whole family. (laughs) Charlie is on J. Jonah Jameson's side. (laughs) Wrong. I just, I don't, I don't know. I guess, but it, I guess if, if she actually dies in the comics, then it makes sense. Yeah, so as a comics fan, I wasn't surprised. The death of Gwen Stacy is probably one of the most famous Spider-Man stories. Um, and that's, I think, partly because it was a game changer in many ways. Because it showed that, you know, there could be consequences for, you know, long-term characters, right? Gwen, Gwen Stacy had been in the comics for probably uh, around 100 issues, maybe. 
by the time of her death. Like she'd been around for a long time. Green Goblin had been around for a long time, although he'd had amnesia for a while, like we talked about in mm-hmm. the Spider-Man three commentary. Um, when you talk about Gwen Stacy, at least up to this point, that's always sort of in the back of your mind now as a comics fan of like, oh, she's the one who dies. And so I spent most of this movie going, I hope they don't actually do the Gwen Stacy death storyline. And so then when they did, I was like, son of a. Because <laughs> <laughs> a, because I like Emma Stone and I liked her character and B, it just feels too soon. Yeah, they could have saved it for three or even four. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's like, why? Because it, it sounds like they went to great lengths to adapt that storyline in particular. And it just it just felt too yeah, soon. It's interesting. They were like, just starting to really abide by those ground rules they laid in that scene. You know, those were really taken off. Yeah. <laughs> Forgot about the ground rules. <laughs> yeah, that was a favorite scene of, of your guys. <laughs> That's one of the scenes that felt like uh, trying a little too hard on the dialogue. Okay, people may talk like that, but it seems a little. That's weird. Overwritten. I kind of got the opposite impression. Like, it felt very ad libbed from start to finish. Like, they're like, here, you've got three minutes to say whatever it is you want. Mm. So, like, I don't know why it gives us opposite impressions. Yeah, to me, it just felt like it was trying a little too hard to be yeah, eh. like adorable or adorkable as Brian kept saying yeah i mean yes but i still found it charming i think for me the degree to which it's charming is because andrew garfield and emma stone are charming yes yes yeah i wouldn't have worked for sure lower but but then they could have been saying anything right weren't they together in real life yes at this point yeah i I think they were still dating in this movie so i think you're actually seeing like actual (laughs) chemistry There's trivia that says that the dog that she was walking in one scene was actually their dog. <laughs> like that both of them oh, had really? adopted together. Yep. You could tell it was an amateur. <laughs> <laughs> an amateur dog. <laughs> Kept looking right at the camera. <laughs> uh, classic. Yeah, uh, the uh, the internet suggests they may have break, broken up the year after this movie. It's probably because the sequels got canceled, right? Or she died. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew Garfield just got too into the role couldn't accept that she was still alive (laughs) (laughs) wow (laughs) a real method actor there (laughs) he just starts freaking out and thinks he's seeing a ghost (laughs) we haven't talked about Jamie Foxx at all yet yeah I really wanted to hear Doug's take he had a hot take yesterday he did he did Jamie Foxx I'm not going to say single-handedly because uh, Green Goblin was pretty awful as well, but <laughs> he, Jamie Foxx pretty much ruined this movie for me because his character is pure cringe. And like when I want when I go to the movies and I watch a villain on screen, I want a villain who's, you know, charming or scary i don't want to just see some maladjusted incel guy you know just struggle his way through being a complete psycho and oh so you don't want to see real life villains no i, go I was gonna say that sounds way realistic <laughs> he's like oh you know they they appropriated my plans they stole my plans and i'm just like you f- work for oscorp they own your work. 
<laughs> you know, like, do you not know what being an employee is? Yeah. Do, did do you we use... know the arrangement? We don't know the 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 details. Did he use company uh, computers and stuff to build it or <laughs> to design it? Or did he do it completely on his free time with his own resources? He's an electrical engineer. Okay. And the designs had to do with electricity. So <laughs> any reasonable employment contract is going to cover that. Maybe he came up with the design prior to his employ at, uh, maybe Oscorp hired him because he designed that system. And they were like, tell you what, we really like your system. And then, you know, he just made some legal mistakes that anyone could make when signing a contract. Um, well, look, look, because you couldn't be bothered to hire a lawyer before you took a position is no justification for trying to kill people. <laughs> I can't. That's your hot yeah, take. That's, 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 <laughs> when, yeah, when, when it's, when it's talking that. about justification for murder, I mean, yeah, not really much you can. <laughs> yeah, in like like inadvertent deaths as well. Like you saw uh, uh, Aunt Sally Mae trying desperately to save these patients' lives while the power is out. You got to imagine not everybody was successful. Yeah, <laughs> Aunt Mae taking charge as the student nurse. <laughs> His wounded pride <laughs> as the student nurse. <laughs> I liked her little beanie that she had. That was kind of cute. <laughs> But Doug, I, I will uh, I will back you up on some of like his stuff being like really cringy and like just making the, me like costume when, design too. When they're at uh, Times Square and Spider Man shows up and he's like, "You don't know me. You don't remember who I am." And it's just like, "You don't remember my name." It's like you are a completely different person right now. How could anybody know who you are? Like what it just. Me that that was like, that's so I, stupid. Spider Man did remember him though. Like <laughs> he was Blueprints guy. Well, he didn't okay. remember his name. Yeah, it's, you know uh, that's clearly the most important part of any. You friendship. didn't give him time. He might have come up with it. Yeah, you know, I I actually kind of you know I as, barely remember the names of people I work with. <laughs> I know. Imagine if you're I'm, I'm afraid to say people's names that I know very well because I'm afraid it's going to be the wrong one. <laughs> yeah. And just imagine seeing that person, you know, Electro, and seeing that person, and then they're going to kill everybody in Times Square if you don't know their name, Paul. Then you, what's my name? What's my name? Say it now. Now. That's not my name. Oh, now. Okay. That's not my name. Here's the thing about that scene, right? Is like up to that point. All he's done is drain some power and yeah. not been sure what's going on. And so then Spider-Man's talking to him. And meanwhile, like half of New York City is pointing their guns at him. New yeah. York City's finest. I was just going to say the whole city. but No, everyone else is just, you know, behind the barricades. I'm making a show. hyperbole point here. <laughs> and then, you know, so in some ways it's the fault of the police for shooting him. That's true. Well, yeah, he just misdirected his, uh, his, frustration. uh, his frustrations on Spider-Man, as we yeah. all knew was eventually going to happen when there's that level of hero worship. Yeah. All I'm saying is that we should maybe train our police officers to deal more with de-escalation techniques. Hmm. Um, I mean, they're actively trained to do the opposite of that, but, you know, whatever. So you're agreeing with me? Yeah, I don't understand. Uh... Yes. You just, <laughs> you're green dismissively with me. 
to be fair though, I mean like the vigil the like the vigilante aspect, like, you know, Spider Man is no is no Batman. He's not just like an arm of the police. So like working together with Spider Man, it's not like Spider Man has an earpiece, you know, and is like coordinating with the police. No, no, I completely <laughs> understand. I completely I completely agree with you on that. What I'm saying is that the police potential made a tense situation much worse by their reaction. Oh yeah. In the way yeah. that they immediately none of you know, one police officer tells him to like, you know, stop. And then immediately like all these guns are trained on him. There's literally snipers in position. Like what on earth? Yeah, That's Hollywood. it's definitely yeah, it definitely was the fault of. The, I, but like police. like that that scene genuinely made me feel empathetic for Electro in a way that I I probably otherwise wouldn't have. Like to me, it wasn't like oh he's the villain. It's like oh he's very badly mistreated by every single person just about in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. With yeah. the exception of Spider Man and you know and Green Goblin, Gwen to some extent. So there's a handful of characters, right? But all I'm saying is that this, if this had been a Sam Raimi film, I think we would have been a lot more on Electra's side for most of this instead of the, the way to, that they keep trying to make it to seem like, oh, of course he's the bad guy. As, as much as there were like cringy moments with Electro, I think that it seemed like somewhat of a fresh take on villains. You know, like he's still sympathetic, but he's not like, he doesn't fall into like that super genius smart villain trap the nice villain which seems to be real hot right now or yeah. I mean, probably has been for a while which it's like i kind of like a little more realistic villain which generally it's like yeah villains at irl have big incel energy and like jamie fox has that in spades in this movie and then there's some other things you know between his work and you know the reaction of the police like push him over some sort of edge I don't know. I, I thought it was kind of it's it wasn't done perfectly, but I really liked the idea, you know, like the direction that they took with that villain versus yeah. like the, you know, just random raving lunatic or the like sympathetic, but also like super genius villain, which kind of I disagree. They do go with, you know, somewhat of the, uh, you know, oh, hey, he's a super genius and he's also a complete psycho. He designed, you know, he, he came up with whatever breakthrough allowed them to design their fancy power grid. Yeah, that's and, true. And he was having, uh, you know, ideation, you know, he, he was fantasizing about uh, assaulting BJ Novak. Yeah, but that's everybody. Exactly. <laughs> I guess well, he I was mean, also, like... you know, imagining that he was friends with Spider-Man but that's also and, you know, everybody. He clearly, no, he was fantasizing he was, about he was ex- that. Yeah. I know, I'm just making jokes. He was extremely disturbed in that regard. Like yeah, this, I, I, I feel like if you're saying like, that this is an IRL level. example, you should maybe consider therapy. Hmm? What? You're saying <laughs> what? people you're saying, don't act like this in real life? Say that again. I'm saying that if you if you if you look at that character and you think, boy, this guy, you know, he, you know, this seems like you know a really relatable IRL type of uh, character, then yeah, that's that's pretty messed up. So yes, okay, the violent visions, things like of that nature. Of course, that's not realistic. I guess what I mean is like. Uh, yeah, they play into some of the stereotypical supervillain genius aspects, but I guess like 
what I mean is that he's like more severely flawed. Like he's not some kind of Renaissance man villain. He's not like a. He's not someone who got screwed over by the procurement process. (laughs) (laughs) In case you're worried, Doug, I don't find uh, those aspects of his character relatable. So how about uh, Dane DeHaan as Harry Osborn? I thought he's awful. <laughs> I don't think I've seen him in anything else. Like, I haven't watched A Cure for Wellness. I haven't watched Valerian. He's in, what, A Kill something with Harry Potter. He bangs Harry Potter in it. Uh, question. Is it hot or is it grotesque? Like, how do they, how do they play it? Yes. <laughs> I don't think you know what I'm into, Doug. <laughs> no, I don't. That's it's fair. Kill, kill your darlings. Okay. You know, I I kind of liked him. Hey, seemed like he had some some friendship chemistry with Andrew Garfield there. I, I kind of decided at some point that I hate Dane DeHaan. <laughs> like when that Valerian movie came out a few years ago, I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. And I saw the trailer. I was like, oh, Dane DeHaan, never mind. <laughs> and I think that's wow. entirely because of this movie that I just decided that I hated him. Well, what about his performance in this film made you hate the actor just as a rule? Uh, it feels very sort of one note broody or like manic, like a manic broodiness, I guess, that never feels like narratively justified. I mean, I guess, okay, yeah, he has goblin disease. (laughs) But it's got Goblin 19. (laughs) (laughs) Goblin 19, did you say? Goblin. Goblin. I thought you said Goblin. That's that's good, too. I like that. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I just, his character feels pretty one note here for the most part. I mean, you're right. He has some. A little bit of nice interaction with Peter early on, but for the most part, I'm just like, oh my gosh! Like literally, my note what says, oh, f- Dane DeHaan, <laughs> <laughs> and then later, f- this Green Goblin bullshit. <laughs> I, I agree with you, Adam. I I didn't like. I, I don't like him, his acting. It just. Oh, he's got a little bit of resting bitch face too. Yeah, maybe that's part of it. Yeah, too, it's not his fault. Yeah. Since I've been told I have resting f- you face. <laughs> 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 That's only when you attention. that was only... resting. Yeah, <laughs> only when you don't know somebody. <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> I mean, oh, I right. Like That's my neutral Perry. face. I don't. I don't. I don't mean to have that face. So I'm sure Dane DeHaan doesn't mean to have that face. True. I kind of liked him as Harry. He turned into a green goblin. He started licking his lips. That was that was nasty. Yeah, that was Paul's favorite part. I, I, I turned to Brianna, I turned to Brienne and I was like, I hope Tom Holland never encounters Green Goblin because I'm over it. Yeah, for real. Oh man, both this time and watching it in the theaters, when he shows up looking like the Green Goblin. I, I laughed both times because it's so terrible. Yeah, I thought the effects in this movie were pretty good, but I thought his makeup was pretty not. Yeah, I mean, like if you if you think back to the previous trilogy, Willem Dafoe didn't look like uh, a weirdo. He has used his face. I mean, other than that, Willem Dafoe kind of a little bit looks like a weirdo in general, but 
maybe that's a hot take. Well, I guess I should articulate that <laughs> and specify they didn't do any weird makeup things that the, to to Willem Dafoe when yeah. he played Green Goblin. He just had a mask, right? Like a, yeah. a helmet, something. A helmet. Yeah. And I feel like they should not have done that with Dane DeHaan here. <laughs> yeah, I read a thing that was like, oh, he found the skin-tight suit that happened to fit him exactly. (laughs) (laughs) You guys don't just have one of those? Well, the point is, I think that your company just happens to have one in its secret projects lab Mm. that fits you. It's, you know, it's like the, it's the, it was made for me thing. Like your, your Junji Ito manga hole. (laughs) Yeah. What? Oh, dear. (laughs) The thing I thought was kind of weird about Dane Han was when he went to the asylum and then like he just beat the crap out of the security guards. I wasn't quite sure where yeah. that came from. Oh. I assume that comes from goblin disease. Oh, super strike. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. From, from COVID-19 or COVID-14. <laughs> I don't know. I just felt like the Green Goblin, even though they started this movie by intending to do the Green Goblin stuff, it just felt so unnecessary. Like it was too much in the movie. Do you know what I mean? Like, they, they didn't need to have it in be in the movie at all. Yeah, yeah. the yeah. third villain. Like, it had a sort of Spider-Man 3 vibe, right? Of like, oh, and now the Green Goblin's also here. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah. he is? Yeah, but this time he's evil. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> did they, like, did they explain why Peter Parker wasn't willing to give his blood to help out his childhood friend Harry Osborn? And I just missed it? Or was Peter just being some sort of weird, selfish jerk who didn't care about his friend? Uh, So in the movie, they don't explain it. Um, I saw a suggestion that part of it might be an editing issue. Okay. And that if they had put that scene after he learned from the video from his father that only they would only work for him. Yeah. Yeah. That would make more sense. The impression you get is that he's like, well, I don't want him to have Spider-Man powers because that's not fun. Right. Yeah, I, that's the <laughs> same. Like, your friend just is literally dying like, here. Help like, him out. Where it was literally just like, why did he go there in the first place? I mean, there was one scene, I can't recall where it happened sequentially, but there was a scene where he was talking to, maybe it was Gwen after they broke up, and he was all conflicted that Harry wanted his blood, and he didn't know if it would kill him. He specifically says, like, I don't know if it could cure him or kill him or something worse. I don't recall where that happens, but he does say that. Yeah, but it's like you don't trust your friend with the the international mega corporation to be able to do the research. Well, you think yeah, you're no. just going to give him the blood and he's just going to shoot it up right there and then in front of you? Well, he's only Come got on. like two days to live, Doug. Right. Yeah, we established that. His father died at 65. He's 20, so do the math. Well, all the more reason to give him the blood, because if it fails and he dies, I guess he only loses a few days of his life, you know? To be fair, though, in, in, Actuarially, in, retrospect, I'm saying. in retrospect, apparently Harry is that stupid because he took the spider serum and straight up injected it right into his blood, so... You well, know. yeah, because he didn't have previous access to Spider-Man's blood, the time was running out, and he had to take drastic measures. If he'd had a few more hours with that blood, could have turned things around. <laughs> I'm a I'm a Green Goblin truther in this movie <laughs> for this movie. The Green Goblin did nothing wrong. 
Wow. Well, except for the part where he kills Gwen Stacy. That seems like a much harder argument to make for this movie than Spider-Man <laughs> 1. <laughs> where he was the one who was betrayed by the military-industrial complex in the defense procurement process. Yeah. Uh, so what's, an, it's, what's a scene that you guys like that we haven't talked about yet? Honestly, for me, the scene that I actually kind of liked, which kind of goes against probably like, I don't know, I must have been just where I was in the movie where I hit the point where I I hated it so much that this kind of spoke to me. But when Electro like is like basically like binging from each of like the power stacks or whatever and it's the itsy to to the tune of itsy bitsy spider (laughs) for whatever reason that put a smile on my face (laughs) and peter parker's like i hate that song i was like oh that's the song (laughs) (laughs) and uh yeah and i and i think it also kind of like that whole scene though like uh I I actually do kind of like the powers that Electrode has, like uh, where he can kind of basically like ride the wave or whatever, and kind of like ride the light. Yeah, yeah. I I thought that effect, the effects were cool. How he would kind of do this, like I don't know. Yeah, how he would zip around. Yeah, I thought Electro's the effects for Electro were really well done. Like I was like I actually noticed that I was like, oh wow, this actually looks really good. Yeah, I thought that was I thought was good. I guess. that whole scene, Electro's powers and like going, you know, going from like tower to tower and all that really made me want to play that in video game form. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> a lot of this movie that maybe I've been playing, staying, playing too many video games lately. So I just think of everything in terms of video game. But a lot of this, a lot of the scenes, I was like, oh, yeah, it's like uh, this would make a good video game. No, it, I have the same feeling, Paul. I love the scene where Electrode phased or whatever you like tro phased into the outlet in the floor i thought that was pretty sweet oh yeah that was cool it's funny because i was like what is if you converted like the energy of a human into electrical energy can that uh can that can one outlet handle a person no (laughs) that's a big load i'll let you do the napkin calculations on that dog uh (laughs) because for some reason when he went through that i was like hmm is that possible like everything else aside yeah i read some breaker (laughs) i read somewhere that like he's the electro is like a million volts or something like that like i don't know that was what it said on like <laughs> but what's his what's his amperage once he's i know yeah you're right it's the well, amps that kill you not the voltage well you're assuming that he's being dissipated as he travels along paul we don't know that if he we don't know that he's not capable of some type of superconduction. Hmm. yeah i like that i like to think that when like if you're, yeah if he's himself is being dissipated through Heat, like but, he never but, seemed to melt any of the wires he's, he was going through, right? Yeah, uh, I like to think that it that the elect, that his whole what is it like his network is his like nirvana. He just becomes one with the everything. His face Ramp. on the side of the building was pretty cool. The one thing I liked that we haven't talked about much yet was the scene with the kid and the the turbine where Spider Man goes out of his way to save him and then walk him home. I kind of I like the beginning oh. of the movie where we're like, oh, Spider-Man's having fun. And oh, Spider-Man actually has a sense of responsibility and community and wants to like connect with people. So I did enjoy that at the beginning of the movie, which I didn't feel as much in other Spider-Man movies. 
We've already talked about effects a little bit. Uh, but one scene that I remember I liked, and I think you guys commented too, was when Electro was first like shocking everyone towards the crowd, and Spider-Man does that backflip and like does the multi multi web stream thing to like prevent everyone from shocking themselves on the handrails. That was a pretty sweet uh, action scene, in my opinion. Yeah, agreed. Kind of makes sense too. I hadn't thought about it up to that point, but. If you're dealing with electricity, you basically have to sh- slow everything down in order to make an action scene make any sense at all. Because like so much of what he yeah, did would happen almost instantaneously. Yeah, like when he was like this, like the scene where he's bouncing around in the pillars, right, and making the music. I mean, that would happen. There's no, there's no way Spider-Man could outswing elect- like lightning bolts <laughs> going between things, but somehow he did it. Yeah, he's Spider-Man. For I like the I like the humorous moments with. Uh, with Andrew Garfield, like when uh, him and Gwen are escaping from, you know, the Oscorp henchmen, and he does this whole uh, when he like bumps into him with the coffee and does this whole like coordinated like dance of like you know pretending it's all an accident, but it's like you know highly choreographed stumbling. I guess I I thought that was kind of a fun scene. Um, and also like when he's, what was that thing? I think Adam, you, you mentioned during the scene that it was funny. Like when he's like, when he was coming up with like the battery thing or whatever, what was it where he's like using oh. a fire extinguisher? Yeah. Like the, I kind of liked those like comic relief scenes. Like I actually thought that was pretty funny. I... Or where he's sleeping and he tries to grab the phone that's going and he grabs the crowbar instead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, those were good scenes. Yeah. I guess it's a little scene, but. The scene where the power goes out at the air traffic controller, um, and then the one controller is just like, he's like relatively calm. He's like, all right, guys, write down what you remember. And then they're like, she's like, oh, no, like the planes were on a collision course. And he's like, well, time it out right now. Like the way he just sort of stayed like calm and collected. I really like that guy. I had a problem, though, with that scene, just because does anyone know air air flow? Do, do planes ever actually fly at the exact same elevation on a collision course. You, I, I felt like that was just a little silly. But maybe they do, and I'm wrong. So I know that in the modern times, due to uh, GPS and such, uh, planes tend to fly a lot more structured and repeatable routes. So there is actually uh, more risk than in the old days that you might end up you know, flying on the same route and colliding into someone. So if... They were on a collision course in like four minutes and the power just went out like two minutes ago. Doesn't that mean they were on a collision course six minutes ago, too? Well, right. But they presumably would have been redirected or, you know, told to adjust trajectories as necessary. But no one is able to communicate that with them. Okay, I just wonder if that's happening all the time up in the air then. Like six minutes away from yeah, colliding just, when somebody said something. This is that. It's like assuming that if planes don't hear anything, they'll just continue flying in a straight line. <laughs> well, it's cloudy. They don't know where to go. Any Look, uh, air all traffic I'm saying control is I like the guy. Listening. Please, uh, please shout out in the comments. Um. <laughs> all I'm saying is I liked the guy situations aside yeah he was cool under pressure the training worked exactly he worked you know i i'm also very partial to well-functioning workplaces portrayed in media i think that's why i like star trek 
Does this mean that you don't see the red shirts as people? (laughs) Well, okay. So there's some... Things seem to go out the window with surface missions with them. Like the risk assessment, (laughs) everything. Just like... (laughs) But, you know, as far as the day-to-day operations on the ship, generally pretty pretty good. Pretty good management. I like how uh, Emma Stone is... In, in well, Gwen Stacy is an integral part of uh, the climax. You know, like you get the feeling that without her there to help, uh, Peter Parker would not be able to defeat Electro. Like he's only able to do it because it's him and Gwen Stacy working together. Yeah, like her her knowledge of the system. Wasn't it her who came up with the electromagnetism idea? You know, yep. Get the copper coils. I also liked how she was like, "Hey, dumbass." Why didn't you think of this very obvious thing? And he's like, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I also like, too, how it was her choice to be there, right? It's not just about Peter Parker. It's my responsibility to keep you out of danger the whole time. She's like, well, no, you know, I have a choice in this, too. And if I want to come, then I'm going to come. I mean, she ends yeah. up dying. Yeah. The, but... screenwriters, the screenwriters said there was a they made that a conscious effort to make it that way. So it didn't seem like she was just dying for the sake of motivating the right the male hero and then he gets to feel even worse that like oh maybe i should have just tried harder to keep her away at the end but no i thought that worked pretty well oh one other thing i liked about the movie that we haven't really talked about is i guess not all the time it sometimes it gets a little to be a little too much but i generally actually enjoyed the score of the movie um, I think that might partly be because I sort of like those electronic influenced scores and this definitely had some flavors that sometimes it gets to be a little overbearing. Like I think when Hans Zimmer really takes over at some points, like stereotypical Hans Zimmer, and you're just like, well, okay, dial it back. But especially like early on, some of the scenes, I really liked the scoring. I actually had the opposite opinion. Um, I thought the score largely detracted from the film. Like, the Hans Zimmer stuff, like you said, was so Hans Zimmer that it felt like it was someone trying to parody Hans Zimmer. And other aspects where it was like uh, with the Times Square fight, it's like, here's some it's here, here's some a uh, little bit of dubstep for you just because it's 2014. And yeah, you, look, you kids like dubstep, right? And you're just yeah, like, that, oh, my gosh, that's part of where it gets to be a little overbearing, although. Um, some of that is, uh, it's not just Hans Zimmer. It's, oh yeah. It was him and like six other people. Yeah. Including people like junkie XL and Pharrell. Yeah. So, yeah. So I agree that some of the big action sequences kind of get overpowered by the score, but, um, some of the smaller stuff and then like the earlier stuff, I thought I, I liked the scoring of that a lot. Like I actually made a note of that, of how much I enjoyed it. It was, it was early on. So, you know, changed a bit, but all right. So, I guess, ultimately, what did you think of this movie? Would you make a giant conspiracy pin board showing how much this movie suffered uh, under various problems? Or would you make a big love pin board showing how much you and Spider-Man are best friends? (laughs) We'll have a good love pin board. I guess I'm asking, how many special project ghost trains would you give this movie? (laughs) All right. Well, you know, again, I am biased because of my love for Emma Stone and slightly Andrew Garfield with his big brown doe eyes. But I think I'd probably, I'd probably give it a six, what was it? A six 
something ghost trains <laughs> special project ghost trains special really project ghost trains <laughs> yeah you know like the special projects in the oscorp plus the ghost train that peter parker's <laughs> dad was working on sort of with oscorp yeah it it was a thing in my head that does whatever <laughs> the roosevelt bing searches the roosevelt how many roosevelt bing searches that's what it should have been <laughs> Also, another thing that wasn't in technically in the movie. <laughs> yeah, maybe he got better results if he used Bing. <laughs> what did he use? Google. Yeah. Oh, okay. He hundred yeah. percent used Bing in the first one, didn't he? That's why. That's why I was yeah. like, oh, this isn't yeah. very realistic because he used because <laughs> he didn't use Bing. So probably six because I I think one of the things that was really missing for me was a villain that I cared about. And I think Doug would agree with that. I, I just, I, I love, I love when I can like sort of sympathize with the villain. And I felt like all the things we're trying to be sympathizing about him. were just kind of, eh. And so I didn't really care about him or any of the people that Spider-Man was fighting. So even though I like the character and the actor, it's like the whole plot kind of felt met and for kind of forgettable, but with some cool action, it brought it up to a six. Uh, Tony. Oh, okay. So following up a six ghost train boy. Um, <laughs> that sounds weird. <laughs> My six ghost train boy. <laughs> that is a ghost train man to you. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> ghost train boy is all grown up now. Oh, well, apparently he doesn't need his ghost dad. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, how many times can we bring up Ghost Dad? <laughs> what number of reference is this? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> I'm laughing too hard to do this. All right. Um I really did not like this movie. But I will say that talking about it, I guess I un- like the th- the Parts that I didn't understand when I was watching it, I guess I understand a little bit more based off of like, oh, this happened in the comic. Or uh, I guess you guys have just done some good things of like kind of changing my mind. So for that, I'm going to give it a three because I was totally going to give this a one. And I think that it's now I think I mean, I don't do well when I'm really bored, like I need action and stuff. And I do think that it picks up. And I was looking at some of my other ratings and like, I definitely would not want to watch Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance more than this film. <laughs> so I'm going to give it a three. Uh, Doug. Yeah. Um, as is traditional, I'm also looking at my old ratings and, you know, doing what Tony said and like, okay, which, which movies, you know, would I rather watch? And three feels about right to me. Um, like this movie had, one good villain in it who barely showed up two that were just very very bad like electro in particular the pre-superpowers is just a pure caricature and i thought the that the uh score to the movie was just not good it felt very odd in places and too much in others never felt like it really was appropriate um so yeah, three feels like a, a good score, an appropriate score for this movie to me. Three ghost train special project cars. I really liked Emma Stone and Andrew Garfield in this movie. Um, I thought they had good chemistry. 
it makes me wish that there were another movie, Spider-Man movie, with those two in it, without the terrible uh, supporting villain cast. I mean, without them in it, it would have been a, a much worse score. So yeah, three feels like a, a good number. So I was a little surprised by this movie. I, there was a lot of little things to like about it. Like again, like Doug, like Doug just said, I think um, Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone had good chemistry, and I really enjoyed the beginning of the movie. I enjoyed the part with Rhino. I enjoyed the part where Spider-Man actually seems to be enjoying himself and trying to connect with the community. And I even didn't mind Dane DeHaan for a while, but. I think when you br- try to bring all this stuff together and you end up having three villains where you probably could have had it's this villain fatigue thing that goes on with a lot of these movies, but especially the Spider-Man movies. And I don't think for the most part it came together by the end. And I, I think you've had a lot of really good actors in here trying really hard with the material that they have. I think some of the ad-lib stuff I thought, the stuff that I thought felt like ad-libbing worked a little bit better than a lot of the scripted, more scripted scenes. Um, but overall, I don't think I actually disliked it much more than the previous Amazing Spider-Man. So I'm going to give this 6.5 special project ghost trains out of 10 higher than you might've expected from me. Cause there's just like individual things to like higher. Yeah. There's individual things to like at various points in the movie. And then you look at the whole thing and it's kind of a mess. Unless, uh, Paul does something weird here. You might end up being the highest raider by oh, far. Okay. Paul. I would also say, you know, there there was a lot of things to like about this movie that didn't quite tie together. Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone are pretty, you know, clearly the the bright spot in the movie. I I like Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man a lot. Like, I think he kind of nails this sort of sense of humor, you know, and is it's like a slightly different take on Spider-Man, but still like keeps the spirit of the character. You know, I liked how much of an important role Gwen Stacy played in the plot in general. Now learning some about, like, about potentially some editing done on this movie. I wonder what that three-hour version would look like. I'm, I'm kind of curious about that, if it would tie together a little better, and maybe we would care a little more about some of the other characters. Even though I defended uh, Electro as kind of a, more realistic take on villains i mean clearly it's more enjoyable to watch more likable villains i think the big incel energy makes for uh probably you know perhaps an effective uh villain story but maybe not the most likable one but there were cool effects there were cool action scenes and uh i liked yeah and i liked andrew garfield's spider-man so i think i'm gonna go with uh, i wish i had rated spider-man 3 higher in the past because looking back i'm like that movie's great but i think i'm gonna also i'm gonna give this uh six special project ghost trains out of ten yeah um i don't know i sort of feel conflicted about this movie and that there are parts that i like that i feel like are done pretty well but there's also parts that are just like too much like Charlie was kind of saying you know it it's kind of got that spider-man 3 vibe of just like there's way too much going on. But whereas like Spider-Man 3 kind of feels like it was just overly ambitious. This movie just feels like it's trying to set up too many future movies down the line without paying attention necessarily to the movie that they're actually making. There's that whole like after credit scene with the mysterious gentleman who I've 
subsequently found out is a Spider-Man character from a Spider-Man novel, not even comics. Like there are Spider-Man novels. Apparently it's just, it just feels like they're trying to do too much and like trying to be like clever and cool. And just, it feels like too much and in many places, but I like, I like uh, a number of the action sequences. I thought the effects were generally really well done. Um, Unlike Doug, I like much of the score. Um, I like Andrew Garfield. I, I like Emma Stone. I freaking I do not like the Green Goblin subplot. I really don't like or even really understand the point of the Peter's parents subplot. And then Electro, like the first part pre Powers Electro, I don't really like because yeah, it's it's a little too much. Or maybe it's not even. I mean, it's all it is too much, but it's also that they don't give enough time to explore what Max is like without powers. Right. Like you get the one flash where he's attacking PJ Novak. And plus the way he gets his powers is bizarre and stupid. But I think once you get to the point, him as a lecturer, I think he does a better job. He's more interesting, at least and less cringy. So it's sort of this sort of really conflicted back and forth. And so I think I'm just going to end up splitting the difference and i'm just going to say that this is five uh roosevelt bane searches on Mm. five separate (laughs) uh special project ghost trains it feels like the core of a entertaining movie is there but it's just buried under so much unnecessary or poorly thought out stuff that it ends up smothering it to a large degree all right so thanks everyone for joining us on uh installment 44 amazing spider-man 2 always exciting to have a <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's palpable <laughs> so yeah thanks for joining us on uh, our, our our mary marvel movie march as always our next installment we're gonna jump forward three weeks in time to may 23rd 2014 and uh our next one's actually a double header and that we're going to cover x-men days of future past and also X-Men Days of Future Past, the Rogue Cut. Uh, so thanks again to our very amazing guests. Our uh, two Root. amazing guests. Our, what? Our four, four, two amazing guests, like T-O-O. <laughs> They're too amazing. <laughs> oh, God. Too fast. Too They've been podcasting amazing. too long. <laughs> Tom Roop. Good to be here, as always. Tony Huff. I've had fun. Paul Cranberry <laughs> Wilcox. It was uh, amazing, too. Doug, <laughs> Doug Gobeski. I'm really glad I was able to get a lot of that off of my chest. And special guest host, Charlie Wallace. Hey! <laughs> special guest host. <laughs> Present. <laughs> Special ghost guest. (laughs) Special ghost host. (laughs) Your ghost host with the most. That's our show. Don't forget, you can check us out on Facebook, just like the Gobeski Wallace Report, and you can also follow us on Twitter at GW Report. And check out our website, thegobeskywallaceReport.com. That's probably the important bit. Well, yeah, I guess all the other links are there, so if you remember one thing, remember that. Not your name, but GobeskiWallaceReport.com. <laughs> More important than your name.
Hello <clears throat> and welcome to another edition of the Go Best <clears throat> Walls Report. My name is Charlie Wallace. Oh, I wanted to do the intro. Oh, well. I was just clearing my throat first. <laughs> For a long time. <laughs> There's a lot in there. You want it real oh, clear. It's not dry. <clears throat> oh my God. You're like, Jesus Christ. Oh, feels, the like, feels like no, shits are filling up with fluid, but can't think of any reason why. <laughs> Maybe it's when I lick clean all those shopping carts. That's his new job in Arizona. Yeah. Shopping cart liquor. Yep. They pay <laughs> yeah, just dollars an hour. Hey, he's hey. just pushing aside the employees who have sanitizing wipes, and he's like, no, no, I've got this. Paul, it's shopping cart liquor number one. Oh, <laughs> whoa. It'd be real cool if I could make it to number one, but right now it's I'm a little further down the ranks. Yeah, it's, it's, it's tough oh, to I... get out there for shopping cart liquors. Yeah, it's a good system, though, right? You spray your tongue with sanitizer, and then you lick. See, Adam, I was thinking shopping cart liquor one, like uh, there's a hierarchy of shopping cart liquors. You know, you got your supervisors, a two. Uh, oh, you're so going cool. the opposite way. <laughs> oh. I see. You're going in terms of levels. Yeah. What I was yeah. doing in terms of, you said number one, I think. So that made yeah, me think of like, I, like I must have credits. Done. All right. Delete that, Charlie. Not like the first <laughs> one to get to lick the shopping cart. And then you get the second guy in afterward. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the patient zero of shopping cart liquors. Well, he's the touch-up guy. <laughs> or girl. Yeah, we what we really need to talk about is is the uh underrepresentation in the shopping cart liquor profession. <laughs> so we just invented it and already there's it's problematic. <laughs> <laughs> it's already <laughs> Welcome to America. Trying to unionize and 